about the Shema. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. We haven't done it for a week and you forgot it. I don't know if I ever had it. <laughs> I'm trying to get it. All right, welcome to another episode of Practically Theologians. And typically we are talking about theological truths, discussing how we can apply these truths to our lives in a practical way. Uh, but today we have a very special guest with us. We are interviewing Andrew Zeller, Dr. Andrew Zeller, the president of St. Greater Christo Seminary, which is actually where we are recording this afternoon in the cabin that I stay in. And we are, uh, it's not sub-zero, but would you say it's pretty close, Josh? Well, it was uh, <laughs> five degrees this morning, I five think. Five degrees, yeah. That's, that's close enough to sub-zero. So we're trying to thaw out, um, but I, w- I think the uh, people that typically live up here uh, year-round or have lived up here as long as Dr. Zeller has are used to this? Is this cold for you or is this pretty normal? Oh, this is about normal for January. It's a little cold for yeah. December though. Cause <laughs> I think it's warmed up to 18 today. Oh man. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit chilly out, but, uh, the summers make up for it. So we'll, we'll deal with it for a little while. Uh, Josh, what is something interesting that has happened to you this past week that you'd like to share? Something about seminary life or... Seminary life. I've been agonizing over Galatians 3, trying to figure out the proposition so that I can preach it on Sunday. (laughs) How's that going for you? You got that figured out? It's going horribly. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm getting closer to understanding it. That's good. It's very, very difficult sometimes, I think. For a guy like me, anyway. Now, did you take Galatians in the summer? Yeah. Okay. I guess you have to go look at your old notes. I did, and I did a horrible <laughs> job back then. <laughs> it's a process. We're all learning. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing this week. Cool. All right. And uh, so, yeah, and we're just about to the end of the semester. Uh, we are in our second to last week, right? That's it. Second to last week. And we are, uh, we've all got our heads leaning forward as we try to make it to the finish line in Hebrew. Won't be long and, now. Uh, yes, we are close. But uh, And Dr. Zeller has been uh, teaching Hebrew to us along with hermeneutics and teaching and preaching and what else? Is that the classes? Homiletics. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics and homiletics. Homiletics, the teaching, preaching, worship seminar course. Yeah. Anything that starts with H. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's true. So, yeah, we've been, uh, he has been busy also, uh, but we have all reaped the benefits of him being our teacher this fall and we are excited to uh, put into practice what we've learned as we go into the spring and everybody goes and begins to get plugged in in ministries, different places and uh, take on their project of preaching or teaching uh, Jonah. So that's kind of where we're at as a seminary and as students here. Uh, so Andrew, why don't we start with a little bit about uh, who you are? Give us your a uh, little bit about your family life. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll uh, go ahead and get into my family life. But first, I want to thank you guys for having me here. And I thank you for doing this podcast. Uh, I think it's a very interesting type of ministry and helpful for you all, helpful for the seminary and hopefully for the listeners too. But I do want to clarify a few things. They call me Dr. Zeller and uh, that might work in a city, but up here in the mountains, I'm Andrew. Okay. Yeah. Most people call me dad, but <laughs> everybody else calls me Andrew, um, dad or papa, because uh well, my wife and I are blessed with a large family, uh, 13 children going on, I guess, uh, 20, no, not 20, excuse me, uh, 18 or 19 grandchildren. And, uh, 
uh, yeah, they also a uh, president of the seminary. It's better to call me the maintenance man. <laughs> so we just talked about how many hats you wear. So yeah, we it's uh, one hat on, one hat off, and yeah, yeah we'll get to that here, I guess, shortly yeah. in regard to what I do. Yeah. But uh, my family background, yeah, um, you may have uh, listened to a podcast of an interview with my mom and dad, uh, and I'm very thankful for the family that I grew up in with my mom and dad. Uh, but then uh, also, uh, the Lord uh, brought to me a, a wonderful wife while I was in college. Uh, her name is Beth Ann, and uh, uh, we've been married now, I guess, going on 36 years. And we've got, uh, we're down to just uh, four children at home, uh, almost an empty nest now. And we've uh, gotten uh, nine of them up and launched. Most of those are married and having children. Uh, most of them are college uh, graduates, or many of them are. And uh, uh, yeah, we homeschooled them. And, all of them, and then uh, send them off to college, and yeah, it's a uh, uh, being a father of a large family is a blessing, and a lot of fun. Sometimes very challenging, takes a lot of work, but we're thankful for the blessings that the Lord's given us in the way of a family. Amen. Yeah, and definitely an inspiration for those of us that uh, have the privilege to come to the seminary and see uh, what it looks like for. Uh, a godly family to uh, tackle the challenge of homeschooling and uh, the whole idea of your children growing up and finding a spouse and all of that has just been, uh, it's been really a blessing to be able to pick the brain of the Zellers and figure out how all that works, especially for uh, a father who has kids coming up and is not really sure how all that works. So yeah, <laughs> definitely an inspiration. Well, definitely my wife gets most of the credit, uh, <laughs> not just in giving birth to most of them, but also most of them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Talk about that. We yeah, we were in the manufacturing for quite a while uh, and had ten, <laughs> ten kids, and then uh, then we got into imports, <laughs> and then God put us back into manufacturing. But uh, oh, man, uh, I was thinking three would be good, but my wife just can't make up her mind. And while she was trying to make up her mind, we had ten more. So, uh, yeah. I wonder if we should have her on here at the same time. I'm sure I'm starting to wonder. Uh, yeah, it probably would be good for, for me. <laughs> so you have, so, uh, you have two adopted, two adopted right. from yep. Ethiopia. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And those, those uh, sons are still with us right now. Yep. And, uh, our youngest is 11. Uh, that, but that's, uh, uh, our daughter Laurel. And then our oldest is, I guess about 35 and, uh, she, is Hannah, and she's got five of her own kids. Yep, and I would say spread across the United States, but it's even further than that, right? Yeah, our uh, Heidi, our third daughter, is in Brazil with her husband. He's a linguist. Uh, there with Wycliffe Bible Translators doing mission work down in the Amazon region. Yeah, cool. And uh, so, not uh, not all of those children were born here. Is that correct? So no. maybe give us a little bit of background on what you did before coming okay. uh, to the seminary. Yeah, before uh, the seminary, I was an active duty Army chaplain. I was active duty in the Army for nine years as a chaplain, ministering to soldiers. And uh, then uh, following that, and while I was coming here to the seminary, I went into the Colorado Army National Guard. So I have a total of 26 years of Army uh, ministry. Uh, behind me and very thankful for that. I wanted to be an army chaplain since uh, before I got out of high school and was able to do that. Uh, most of that time was with combat arms units. Well, uh, more specifically with field artillery. 
Uh, I had 15 years with field artillery. Uh, that's a real blast. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like father, like son right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also got to serve as the Colorado state chaplain, which is a senior position in Colorado for a chaplain. And then after that, four years at NORAD in U.S. Northern Command, where we did uh, strategic analysis and planning. Uh, and I did that from a chaplain's perspective for Homeland Security issues. So where, at what point in that um, military career did you end up getting married? Okay, I got, I got married before. Okay. Uh, I got married while I was still in college. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You said you met her in college. Yeah. Okay, so did you start having children then? Um, while you were uh, doing that? We had our first child uh, two days before our first anniversary. Um, and then uh, they started coming about every two years after that. So throughout that military yes. uh, experience, then you yeah. were having children and Bethany was obviously holding see, down the fort. See, I um, uh, actually finished my seminary education before my college. Okay. I was in the first graduating class here at San de Cristo Seminary. And then finished college. I was doing college at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs, but then also finished college at Covenant College where I met my wife and then went on to Covenant Seminary where I did a Master of Theology. And uh, we had our first uh, child while we were at Covenant College and then a second child while we were at Covenant Seminary. And then uh, I was a pastor in Southern Illinois for about two years. I would say great state, but great even, state. even being from there, I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I went on into active duty after that pastoral ministry. The pastoral ministry uh, um, was a good ministry that I was thankful for, but I uh, knew I was using it as a stepping stone mm-hmm. to go on into the Army chaplaincy. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, in the Army, uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, and then uh, uh, Babenhausen, well, Wertheim, Germany. Babenhausen, Germany, went over to the Middle East, uh, did a three-country tour over there, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq, and uh, then uh, back to the United States, Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, Fort Benning, Georgia, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. At Leavenworth, I was pastor to the inmates at the military prison, the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines prison there. Um, uh, they had about 1,100, 1,200 inmates, and I was wow. their pastor. Wow. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. They let me out during the nighttime. <laughs> but I, my my office and my place of work was right in the, they called it the castle. It was the prison. It was a yeah. huge stone uh, building, big dome in the middle with wings that went off. And all the hardcore prisoners from the military went there. Yeah, can we just take maybe a little side note here? Um, because... Sometimes prison ministry is something that pastors have the opportunity to do mm-hmm. um, in the different locations that they're at. So uh, maybe what's just a few um, a few different pieces of advice you would have for a pastor that maybe not in the military setting, but is in a, in a um, location where hey, there's sure. prison ministry available. Sure, you got to follow the rules. There are a lot of rules for volunteers and or staff who are there. You got to learn what they are, and you got to follow them, even if you don't understand them. And then. Really, there's uh, significant ministry in the prisons. Those people are, the the inmates are lonely uh, for the most part, and many are looking for answers, and it's an opportunity to really impact a, a number of people's lives. Is there a, 
Is that something that you would recommend for a pastor to look into and see if that opportunity is around? Or do you think it takes uh, a certain specific gifting uh, to get plugged into something like that? Or do you think most pastors should at least be considering, hey, is this an opportunity in my area? There may be definitely a certain gifting that's needed, but um, in there's different rules for state prisons and okay. federal prisons. And in a lot of federal prisons, the chaplain actually gets to do ministry. In state prisons, a lot of the chaplains are just an administrative role where they are required to see that the free exercise of religion is exercised for everybody in the prison, and they really have very little time themselves to be able to do uh, good ministry themselves other than administrating the volunteers who come in. So, really, in state prisons, it's usually the uh, volunteers who come in who are able to do the heart of the ministry, and the chaplain is simply an administrator. Okay. In federal prisons, that maybe is not so much the case. Yeah. You still do the administration, but um, may be able to do more uh, personal ministry by preaching, leading worship, and Bible studies. But state prisons, they're usually <laughs> too busy administrating yeah. uh, the volunteers. So, could a local pastor possibly be one of those volunteers that comes in and is is orchestrated yeah, by the definitely. chaplain? Okay. And there, you yeah. just have to listen to the chaplain, who's yep. a professional staff member who knows the rules, yeah. and just listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I guess I hadn't realized that that was a part of uh, what you had what yeah. you had done. In, in the military prison, my specific job was as pastor to the yeah, inmates. Right. So yeah. I really got to do, do ministry, ministry okay. in that I ran a, a Sunday morning worship service, uh, some weekday or two Bible studies, um, and then visiting the guys out on the floors, whether it's on uh, in the regular wings uh, or uh, solitary confinement or death row. Wow. It's a broad range of... Yeah. situations that people are in also. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, they had a their own chaplain for the uh, guard battalion. It's a military police battalion that operated at that time. Now the, the disciplinary barracks, they called it, is much smaller than it was then. Uh, they've downsized considerably and they've shipped off the inmates to uh, federal actual facilities. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But when I was there, it was, it was pretty large. And uh, I made friends with uh, the... Uh, cadre the guards but they uh had another chaplain and because i was with the inmates most of the time they they didn't necessarily trust me as much as they might their own chaplain yeah wow that's an interesting dynamic yeah cool so there's a little bit about my background and uh some of the things i did uh i might i really liked being with soldiers in the field uh in training or in combat uh that's where the heart of the ministry of the military army chaplains are but then also at norad and u.s northern command that was very interesting and uh very rewarding and being able to minister there to colonels and generals as well as participate in planning and uh, analysis of uh things that uh, are a risk to the united states and north america as, as a whole yeah and that that passion that you have uh just for the for the um the army in general uh, comes out in your involvement in the community, uh, you know, being involved in the different uh, activities and exercises that are taking place. Uh, so that's really cool to watch. Yeah. I still get to uh, do ministry to veterans here in the yeah. county uh, as well as uh, like at Memorial day or just recently a veterans day banquet that I did a uh, invocational prayer and a benediction. 
and I get to uh, speak. Uh, it was a speaker for the countywide Memorial Day just uh, celebration recently. Yeah, one of the hats. One of the hats you're wearing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so did you? You were in the. You were an army chaplain, and then did you retire? From that to come here? No, how did I uh, do? I double uh, headed it. Okay. In that I was in the Colorado Army Guard while okay. I was the president here oh, okay. at the seminary too. Okay, I left active duty in 1996. Came here at the seminary. Uh, was on staff as the uh, I guess uh, vice president, you might call it. And then uh, after four years, became the president in 2000, 2001, sometime in there. And then I retired from uh, the Colorado Army National Guard as a reserve uh, chaplain uh, in 2011. Okay. Okay. And wh- one of the things that's, that is that I find humorous mm-hmm. is you were a chaplain in the Army and your dad was a chaplain in the Navy. And you guys don't usually pass up the opportunity to give each other a, a hard time about that. Yeah, dad doesn't find that humorous <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, I, let, I, I let him know that I think that the Navy is a fine support organization for the military. <laughs> I'm sure he would word that differently, but. <laughs> well, they're very, they're two uh, very important parts of our military. We're all on the same side when yeah. it comes to a real conflict. So. Yeah. yeah, I just enjoy Hearing you guys go back and forth every now and then, right. that's, that's a lot of fun. Right. Well, his father was an army chaplain. Okay. I don't know if I knew that. His father was a foot soldier in World War One and an army chaplain in World War Two. Wow. And then um, his father retired from the Army Reserves as a major. And then dad did a career active duty in the Navy, retired after 20 years, and I retired after 26 years. So. Wow. That's a great background. Yeah. Yeah. So you come to the seminary, um, like you said, you were kind of doing both things for a little while. Yeah. Um, as the president of the seminary, uh, what are your views or what are your thoughts on the size of the seminary? Well, oh yeah, go ahead. Well, one thing I wanted to ask before uh, before we get into this part. Now, you said you graduated from the first uh, graduate. You were in the first graduating class here. Yes. What year was that? 1981. 1981. All right. Yes. Cool. And by coincidence. Uh, okay, 81 is when I finished, but received uh, the MDiv after I finished my college right. yeah. in 83. Uh, or was it 84? Uh oh. <laughs> 83 was a really good year. 83. It was 84, I believe. And in the class of 84 was uh, uh, Kelly Moore, who currently is the command chaplain at NORAD and U.S. Northern mm-hmm. Command. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, followed me into the army. Okay. But, right. uh, yeah. I just thought that might be interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. But, you know, we are a small seminary, and I am thankful for it being a small seminary. I like small seminaries, but I wouldn't say that a small seminary is necessarily better than a large seminary, nor is a large seminary necessarily better than a small seminary. Uh, you can have good or bad seminaries despite their mm, size. Yeah. And yet there are some pros and cons for uh, a seminary, uh, a pro for a, that is a small seminary. Uh, one of the pros for uh, uh, a small seminary is we really are more interested in discipleship, one-on-one uh, relationships with the students, and we're able to do that in a smaller environment. Um, Jesus, you know, had a seminary with only 12 students, 
And so uh, we're we're a seminary right now with eight full-time and three part-time. We like to have probably 10 to 12 full-time, but our facilities uh, really work best with about 10. We've gone as high as 16, and that was almost too many for this platform that we're working with. Because when even right now, we've just got eight uh, full-time students. And when our uh, dean of students was here, Ben Palmer, you're with him and his family and you guys and your families. We have, what, 54 people yeah. here. And a lot of kids running around. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, um, uh, yeah, we can fill up the place with just a handful, two handfuls of students. Mm-hmm. But we also have a significant sense of community here. We know each other. We know each other's families, and uh, we support each other. We uh, encourage one another. Um, I like that sense of community. You can get lost in a larger school. Uh, You don't get lost in the crowd here. That has its pros and cons for the students. Whether you want to or not, right? That's right. That's (laughs) right. There are some students that would like to go to a seminary and just hide. Yeah. They don't mind just going to classes and learning, but they do not want you to get involved in their personal life. Here, we get involved in your personal life to a certain extent. Yep. Um, and uh, that sometimes is uh, a negative for the students, but positive for the church in the future. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we also, in a small school, we don't have a lot of electives. We have a program that we believe is a well-designed program for a master of divinity. And we stay focused on that. There are schools that used to be focused on an MDiv. Then they got a counseling master's going on, and the counseling master's has overtaken the curriculum and the whole purpose of the seminary. We stay focused in training men to be pastors and equipping them with the skills needed to do that. Um, we are What really matters, whether you're large or small, is that you train the students effectively to be ministers of God's Word. Yeah. Men and women. Uh, currently, there's one woman enrolled. We do. Yeah. And um, we are thankful to have female students. And uh, yet, we're not necessarily training them to be pastors. Right. We're conservative in that regard. Let's, let's hope not. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yet, we are thankful when uh, a woman would like to take a class or take the whole program and get the master's. Uh there's a dynamic in the classroom when there's a woman in the classroom that is helpful and positive. That is not there when it's just full of a bunch of men. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I think one of the elements that I really like about the size of the seminary is uh, we actually schedule time uh, to sit down and talk to uh, a professor, you know, kind of like an accountability session yeah. of sorts. Uh, and then also even outside of a scheduled time, uh, we know that we can come uh, talk to you or set aside a time to meet up uh, and just go over things uh, ministry-wise or personal-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just a, a really helpful benefit um, of the size of a seminary. And we want to be personal. Yeah. And I think that that's helpful in preparation for ministry because ministry is a personal uh, activity. Now, a, a pastor could be a pastor of a large church, and he's the preaching pastor, and he gets out in front of the people from the um, in the pulpit, and uh, maybe doesn't get to know everybody out there. And he's got other pastors that do that. 
But still, even a preaching pastor in a large congregation needs to understand people. And in a small school where we know one another, where we're thinking this is a discipleship ministry more than just an education ministry, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a sense of community, but we're personal. Where I, I would really say that we really have an advantage over some other schools, and that is those other schools that are primarily uh, distance learning or uh, internet learning. Uh, so, I wouldn't say that a small school is better than a large school or a large school is better than a small school, but definitely when you've got in-classroom, in-person education, that's better than uh, when you're mostly interacting with a computer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but the challenges for a small school, um, most large schools have a the backing of a denomination or a larger constituency uh, from which they are getting students and funding. And being a small school, we don't have the... Uh, uh, connection with any particular denomination, although most of us on staff and the faculty are in the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. But um, we are not officially a PCA school. Uh, and because of that, and because we are remote, we're unique that way, we don't have a given constituency that from which we draw students or uh, support right off. We've had to create that. And yeah, it hasn't and, been easy. Um, that's what that was. What I want to talk to uh, talk to a little bit about was talking to the idea or the the challenge of uh, finances. When we interviewed your dad, uh, one of the things that he brought up was when he when he established the seminary. When him and Lois established the seminary, one of the things that he was committed to was I'm not going to take a salary, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this. Uh, I'm trying to establish this and get it going without being a burden to it financially. Uh, but one of the things that he realized as he did that was uh, that's not going to work for very long. Uh, we're going to need, as far as that being enough to, yes. to uh, get the seminary going, it's going to take more than what he could actually give up, right? Uh, so he realized that was one of the things that he realized was uh, I'm going to have to branch out and figure out who else can come in and help support the seminary. Uh, and God has been faithful to do that. But do you want to kind of share a little bit about, I think, first of all, how this seminary operates on um, donations and what percentage that is. But also, I think the highlight of that then for students is what kind of scholarships then are available uh, because of that funding. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll I'll address that uh, in connection with this pro and con of being the president of a small seminary. A pro and a con is that I do have to wear many hats. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's many roles that I have to play. Whereas in a larger seminary, you can distribute the tasks to people who are trained in particular areas. Uh, The con is that I have to do many of those areas Mm -hmm. myself. But a pro is that I've got a lot of variety in my work. So, it it goes back and forth. I mean, one of those uh, roles is I am currently the fundraiser and the bookkeeper um, and the uh, market director, marketing director. Uh, So, yeah, I just uh, finished a uh, fundraising uh, uh, project with our local community, trying to uh, 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 promote the seminary in the local community a little bit more. 
Um, my main approach to fundraising is, first of all, understanding there are people out there looking for an opportunity to uh, contribute money to a worthwhile ministry and contributing to the academic preparation of pastors is really a very worthwhile uh, way to use resources that are ones that you want to gift to God's word work. Um, but my main uh, way of doing that over the years has not been huge campaigns as much as thanking people when they contribute and trying to stay in contact with them and let them know how their funds are being used and with the hope that they would want to continue. And because of that, we've had a number of people who have then contributed. They start contributing every month or just once a year. And by God's grace, it has been enough to sustain the school. Uh, we do not have debt. That is a really important uh, part of our economic uh, package here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start a school and you go into debt, then you really have got a burden that can really weigh you down. But because of the way my father started things here, he being an active duty uh, Navy retiree, was able to live off of his Navy retirement, which wasn't a huge amount, but it was enough for them to live comfortably. And then we built the school here using the resources that we have. We have trees and rocks here in the mountains. And we can't plant corn here yeah. or tomatoes. And or so, anything else. And so we, we planted a seminary. <laughs> yes. And we started in 1970. Well, we started building in 74. Uh, with this cabin right here. This is our first uh, cabin. Still going strong. And then uh, uh, that cabin over there we started, but then we really moved on over to the lodge and finished that in 76. Finished uh, that cabin over there then about 78, 79. Um, But for the most part, we work with uh, local lumber, trees, and rocks for our building. And so we have been able to build the facilities here uh, for 10% of what it might cost to build in a city or somewhere else. And it's a lot of fun building that way, too. Uh, Harvesting the trees, we start with a chainsaw, cut the trees down, cut off the branches, haul it to the sawmill. We built our first sawmill in 1978. So we were building before we had a sawmill. Maybe Dad told you all these Uh, things. No, I didn't know that you were building without a sawmill. And yeah. How does that work? Well, we uh, bought the lumber, but it was just okay. rough cut, okay. rough cut yep. local lumber. Okay. So this building, the framing of this building, the framing of that building and that building were all uh, from bought lumber. Okay. But the siding from that building, that was from our sawmill. The uh, library in the cabin over there, uh, for you people listening, I'm pointing out, the, window, out, the, out the door. <laughs> and uh, my house and the chapel and the A-frame where... Uh, Josh lives, uh, the family, well, you those know, I, we all built by I, hand. I actually might, I'll look here. I might have a hand-drawn map on my blog that I'll pull up. Maybe I'll put it in the show yeah, notes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Kind it's of just a layout. Map, yeah. But. A layout of the seminary. Or so, you can maybe do a snapshot of um, Google Maps too. Let's see what that would show. I'll know a lot of the trees. But uh, So one of the things that we've, that we've benefited from too as students is uh, – you, you are very, obviously you've been a very good steward of 
the donations and the funding that you have received in the sense that um, you're very careful where the dollars go. Yes. Um, there's not a lot of wasteful spending. So uh, it's, you know, trying to figure out what is the best way to put these donations to work. Uh, and so we've seen that. And that's actually been really uh, inspiring for me to see how to run a seminary or how to run a ministry uh, and putting everything to good use uh, and, and being very cautious of, of being wasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, with people's donations. And I think that sometimes uh, we can try to justify things that we really shouldn't be spending money on or that aren't even really beneficial to the ministry. And we think that uh, somehow we think that maybe this is a good thing. Uh, so that's been helpful for me. Uh, but one of the things that also that we as the students directly get to experience as a, as a result, one of the donations and the funding, and then two of you being a good steward of that uh, is that we get um, scholarships and low tuition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to kind of talk a little bit about the tuition and the scholarships and kind of just how all of that comes together and benefits the student who's saying, how and how on earth am I ever going to afford seminary? Right. Well, we've kept our uh, tuition very low. In fact, historically, our tuition was even half of what it is right now. In the last uh, four years, I doubled what we were charging for tuition because people were looking at our tuition rate and saying, Look how low their tuition is. They must be no good. Wow. <laughs> and so I doubled the tuition, but then I offered to the students that if they would work two hours a week, we'll give them a 50% discount, bringing it back to what it historically <laughs> has been. Yeah. And so if a student doesn't want to work for the seminary for two hours a week, uh, they can pay the full tuition. But that two hours a week, one hour of doing some sort of uh, menial task around the school and it could be or two hours of doing tasks around the school or they could use one of those hours to do some sort of uh, partnership development which i think even this podcast is uh counting as that and so if our students are maintaining communication with their family friends and church uh, we think that that is positive and it's helpful. We don't want them to become disconnected from uh, their family while they're in seminary or their church. And so if they'll spend an hour a week doing something, maybe writing a newsletter, uh, working on a Facebook or some sort of uh, uh, blog or a website, uh, something to stay in communication. Then, too, if they are needing help financially, they'll have a body that they can go, uh, they can ask. And, you know, it's my strong opinion that the burden of financial support for a family that is in seminary should not be on the dad, who's usually the student. It should be on the church at large because the student is sacrificing uh, two and a half, three years of time to prepare themselves to serve the church in the future. And they're already sacrificing by taking themselves out of the workforce and having an income. It's my belief that uh, the church at large and family and friends should also chip in to help uh, that student. We are doing our best to keep our tuition low. Uh, Our expenses are very low here. Uh, and yet the tuitions that we do charge, tuition and fees, covers about 20% of our operating cost. The other 80% I raise uh, through friends, family, and now many graduates who have uh, finished and said, I want to support the seminary. 
they helped yeah. us out. I want to uh, help them out now. Yeah, I think that so two things that testify to uh, that philosophy of of going to seminary and what um, just the idea that uh, that the person, the student that's going to seminary, is sacrificing a lot to try to. Um, a lot just try to be sharpened as a tool and apply himself in his studies or herself and her studies and just really absorb everything that they can in the three years that they're here. Uh, but I can see as I've talked to people that have graduated or that are graduating, uh, there's two things that come to mind with, as I talk to the graduates. Uh, one is I want to be able to get back to the seminary. Um, when I get established somewhere, I want to be able to get back to the seminary. So I think that that testifies to uh, the value that the seminary has in the lives of the students. And then also, I know for myself personally, one of the things that I've wanted to try to implement wherever I end up is how can we, A, support the seminary that I was at, and two, how can we then look to support the leaders that God is raising in our own congregation um, in a way that would allow them to go get trained also. So I think that those two uh, aspects that you brought up are being uh, also being embraced by the students that are here. And as you uh, release those students, graduates into the ministry, I think that you're doing a lot of good uh, with that philosophy and, and teaching us that. I think that's a very helpful. Well, thank you. Um, it had been my hope that if I just continually uh, thank people for gifts, that it would snowball and somebody give a gift that hadn't before. I thank them and write them, send them a newsletter, then more gifts would come. And that has worked to, on a certain level. But what has happened is the original pool of contributors were my parents' friends, who most all of them have gone on mm-hmm. to be with the Lord. And so we've had to just struggle to replace them. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we barely have enough income right now for two full-time staff. And uh, so uh, we have never gone without uh, paying staff. Sometimes it's been up to two weeks late. <laughs> uh, but then we may not have uh, funds to be able to do other things right. that we might like to. Uh, and so we, I, I'm continually working at trying to increase our donor base. And if you would like to donate, you can go to the website, sdcsseminary.org. And there will be a link in the show notes. Find the give button there. And I I can put a link in the show notes, too. Okay. Yeah, that's a PayPal method of giving. We also can set up an electronic fund transfer uh, and or just a monthly. uh, What a lot of people are doing now, uh, they like to have uh, some sort of pay. Uh, service with their bank, yeah. a bill pay service yeah. with their bank, and just uh, they can click on it, and then it goes. Yeah. It happens. Yep. So that's uh, that kind of helps us see uh, the perspective of from the president's perspective, the challenges and some of the pros and cons of the size of the seminary that we're at. But I want to move uh, now to a question, two more questions before we bring this podcast to a close. The first one being, regardless of the size of the seminary, can you share some thoughts on what you think seminary education should look like? Well, at the heart of a seminary education should be the training of men to preach God's word. Uh, Training someone for ministry may seem a little vague. Ministry of what? Uh, A lot of people think of ministry as you help other people, and that's ministry. You might have hospital ministry or prison ministry where you're with people in those settings and you uh, talk with them, you counsel them, you uh, 
uh, have Bible studies with them. But at the heart of ministry, pastoral ministry, is preaching or teaching the Bible. And for a pastor to be able to do that effectively, training is helpful. Some people may not need training, but most of us do. Mm -hmm. I think of training in the seminary education as being a, uh, a magnifying what a person might be able to get on their own after 20 years of trying. Mm-hmm. But you can condense it into three years or here if a person starts at the beginning of a summer semester, they knock out the 105 credit hours in two and a half years because we're pretty much all year round with our uh, winter spring semester along with a summer semester. But, yeah, training men to preach God's word. Um, And to do that, there are certain skills that one needs to have. Uh, We have an emphasis here in the biblical languages because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. And those are tools that you need to have in your box when you start pulling together a a sermon or a lesson. And uh, also, the skills of preaching and or teaching. We get our students teaching and preaching in their first uh, fall semester. That's what I'm going to be doing Sunday. That's what you're doing Sunday. It's trial by fire. And we want to have our students uh, teaching or preaching three times each fall semester. And so for some of them, it's the first time they've gotten in front of a group of people and started to teach or preach. And for others, they've had some experience. Uh, But we want to give them uh, those experiences three times each fall. So we've got three falls. That's nine times that they are in in the seminary setting here going to do a presentation, a sermon, or a lesson, and get feedback. But then we also want them during the winter-spring. And for those who may not understand, we have a full summer semester and a full fall semester. Those are our, That's our main academic time, the summer and the fall. During the winter-spring, it's part-time, and the students are launched to go usually back to their home church or their home setting, and they have to do a study through a book of the Bible, and write a commentary on that book of the Bible, and then teach or preach a series of 8 to 10, maybe even 12 lessons or sermons on that book. And so during the two winter spring breaks, we can just call it spring breaks, <laughs> yep. uh, between the fall semester and the summer semester, they need to be teaching or preaching somewhere for at least uh, two to two and a half months. And uh, so we've got a lot of emphasis there. I've heard a story of uh, uh, schools where in their homiletics class, that's their preaching class, the students only preach once in their entire time while they're in seminary. And it's uh, they need more opportunity where they are given feedback because it really does take usually about three semesters of preaching uh, two or three times each and getting feedback for the students to start understanding how they're coming across and what they're doing and, uh, and being able to improve. Uh, so we emphasize our 
biblical languages as a tool for studying the scripture, and then being able to uh, teach and preach the scripture uh, so that it's biblical, so that it's clear, so that it's interesting, and that it's relevant. Uh, Our academic uh, curriculum, the curriculum as a whole, you could diagram it in a pyramid. And at the base of the pyramid is exegetical and biblical studies. Then you go up one level in that pyramid, and you've got theological studies. And then you go up another level in that pyramid, and you've got pastoral studies. Myself, I love the pastoral studies. I'm a pastor. I'm a chaplain at heart. And I love being with people and ministering to people. Uh, but you want to base what you're uh, your ministry to people on your theology. And your theology comes from your biblical exegetical study. So that's got to be the base. Many seminaries put theology as their base. And they teach a theological system. And it may be a good system, or it may not be. And then they, in their emphasis of their training, it's not theology, but it's excuse me, it's not exegesis, it's theology, and then they move up to exegesis mm-hmm. or biblical studies, and then pastoral uh, skills. Some seminaries, I'd say the more liberal seminaries, ones that maybe have uh, put the Bible aside, and even put Christ aside, uh, they put pastoral studies as the base. Yeah, They want to teach everybody how to make other people happy. And they never get around to the other two anyways. And they don't, <laughs> they may not do that. So, um, we put a lot of emphasis on biblical yeah. studies and using the biblical languages because we think that is the foundation for your doing ministry, and that's the preaching and teaching of the Word. Yeah, I like that idea of the pyramid. That helps That helps uh, whoever's going into ministry to uh, keep in mind, if I want this to be honoring to God's Word and ultimately honoring to God, uh, I need to make sure that I have these this pyramid stacked in the right order, mm-hmm. um, so that I can make sure that when I actually when it when the rubber hits the road and I'm actually counseling somebody or pastoring a flock, it's built on that foundation, uh, and that that foundation is the, in the proper order. But uh, so that shows a lot of value uh, that a student gets to um, be a part of or take part in when we get when we get the privilege uh, or are blessed to be able to go to seminary. But what advice would you have for uh, possibly a pastor, uh, someone who's been uh, kind of been brought into a pastoral position, or an elder, or maybe uh, someone that's not in necessarily in formal ministry, but is a uh, someone that wants to study out the Word of God, but doesn't have the opportunity to go to seminary. What's some advice that you would have for that person? Well, there's a number of things you can do. Um, you can go ahead and. What was that ding? Does that mean I'm done? <laughs> Josh, is, Josh is the guy that makes sure that nobody's making any extra noise, and then his computer makes the noise. So we're, we are all in the clear. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah. You know, a person can be in ministry and not ever have any formal education, but it would be a good idea to have a mentor or two or three mm-hmm. who uh, helps give you some guidance to uh, direct you in your ministry uh, to help you have a unified theology, uh, help you with some of your skills in studying God's Word, and help you with some of your skills in preaching. 
uh, that minister needs to be open to evaluation and realize that they may have some gaps in their theology or a disunified theology uh, and that they may not have the skills really that would be helpful for them to create a sermon week after week after week after week. Burnout oftentimes happens when they don't have those skills. Mm. Or not just burnout, but maybe even worse, <laughs> stealing sermons yeah. and stealing lessons. Or not going not going as deep as you could or should right yeah. into the text. Yeah. Yeah. So finding some help, some mentors, uh, even asking for recommend, finding some pastors who you really respect and asking them for some recommendations of some books that they think would be helpful for you. Uh, number one book, I've got 120 books on pastoral counseling. I'd throw them all away for Instruments in the Redeemer's yeah, Hands by uh, Paul Tripp. Uh, I've got uh, a few dozen books on preaching. I'd throw them all away for Haddon Robinson's uh, Biblical Preaching. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's some good books out there and there's some lousy books. Get some good ones yeah. and study them and try to really understand it. I've found that students will read Haddon Robinson's Biblical Preaching, think, oh, this was nice, it's just kind of simple, though, and then move on and not implement those skills that are presented in it. They just go ahead and start preaching, and they think that they are implementing those skills, but don't realize they're not. Yeah, yeah, that's one book that, uh, like you, were, you referenced um, Reverend Ben Palmer when he was here. Uh, that was one book that he said, I mean, there's several that you could look at this way, but you should probably read um, on an annual basis um, or something close to that until it becomes a part of your uh, regular uh, format for preparing yeah. a sermon because it's just it's so practical. And, and so reliable. Um, and not that every sermon is cookie cutter uh, in how you in preparing it, but having that system in place allows you to make the best use of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I agree. But the same thing with uh, pastoral counseling, like with uh, uh, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, a person can read that through, say that was great, and then think they're implementing yep. it in pastoral counseling, but not realize they are not listening to their counselee. Yep, yep. that's very true. But being able to learn the, the biblical languages on your own, there are resources out there now to include uh, DVDs that take you step-by-step step through uh, chapters in a text. For example, um, uh, Basics of Biblical Hebrew by Miles Van Pelt and Gary Pratico. Uh, a very, it could be an intimidating textbook with an intimidating workbook. Uh, but you just got to go through it step by step, and there's a DVD that takes you through it all. Now, I used to think that a person couldn't learn Hebrew yeah. on their own for the average person, yeah. and even the better than average person couldn't learn Hebrew on their own. But with the resources out there, just accountability and self discipline is really the thing to yeah. do. And I think that you can even get a combo. You can get a combo pack. I know on Lagos they have it, but of biblical Greek and biblical Hebrew together, so you would get mounts along with the with yeah. the Hebrew. Yeah, Mounts, uh, Robert Mounts, Bill, uh, Bill Mounts. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, the I really, in hermeneutics this morning, there was something that we touched on that I thought was so important. Our purpose in seminary, though, is not just to get you to study the Bible so much more and understand the truth of the Bible and then to be able to preach effectively. It is so that you will come to know Jesus Christ and God, our Creator, more. Live for Him and worship Him. 
We want our students to grow in their knowledge of God, to worship Him correctly, and to uh, be thankful for His grace and live our lives out for His grace. That is the end goal of seminary. And that should be the end goal of any Bible study, right? So that's that's the goal that someone can take, even if they aren't allowed or if they're not going to have the opportunity uh, given to them to be able to go to seminary or God doesn't call them to seminary, but it calls them to stay right where they're at uh, and just study out God's word. But with that uh, as their premise uh, to dive deep into God's word and to study it out and to surround yourself with the resources and mentors that can help you come to a proper understanding of scripture and then live it out in worship. Uh, to the God that you're learning about is um, that's the one that that's what we all have in common mm-hmm. as, as the church and as believers. Uh, so one of the things that you're always uh, that we are always being pressed on when we prepare a sermon or a lesson is don't have too much material, be tight, be concise. So I'm going to flip the tables here. You've got 15 seconds <laughs> to give us uh, under the Bible. What is the one book that you would recommend? And in 15 seconds, why? Oh, my. And by the way, if you need That's more. That's not fair. <laughs> I mean, the finals are coming up here. This uh, might get released after finals. <laughs> we'll be generous to you. I was looking at my chops to put you in the same spot that I feel like I'm in. So when I'm preaching, no, I'm I, rec- I recommend you put it on pause and give me another 20 uh, minutes to figure out what <laughs> What's a book? What's a book that you would recommend? Uh, you've already given us a couple. Uh, but just a book that you'd recommend, not necessarily for someone in seminary, but for just someone that wants to learn more about theology or any element of, of uh, just studying God's word. Uh, what's a what's a book that sticks out to you? Well, how about Calvin's Institutes? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking. Yeah, about that. because it summarizes what the scriptures teach. And for those who uh, think Calvin is a bad name, you read it, you'll realize yep. he is a magnificent Godly, I like Holy Spirit-led, humble scholar. Yep. Now, was it B.B. Warfield that called him the theologian of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, maybe. I don't know who did, but I know he I was that called that. That was interesting because cool. Calvin, Calvin, Calvin is too, right? a bad name to some people, yeah. but yeah. yeah. And, and, and those people who he's a bad name to have probably not read a, cent, yeah. a single bit of his stuff. They are uh, going by somebody telling them, yeah. Calvin's bad. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and maybe even a misunderstanding of what he even thought and taught. And Calvin was really an amazing man. Yeah. Cool. So there you have it. If you're looking for something to read in Calvin's Institutes, that'll probably take you what? <laughs> yeah, a, a, a few, few hours. A few, a few yeah, <laughs> maybe a few years. <laughs> so, but a good thing to start chipping away at because there's so much good theology there and a good uh, good way to anchor yourself in, in a proper understanding of God's Word. So, thank you very much, Andrew thank and you. Josh, for having me come up. We really appreciate it. So, uh, again, so if you would like to go to the website and give to the seminary, it's sdcsseminary.org. That's that stands for Sangre de Cristo Seminary. And uh, there's a give button there. And also a way that you can send a check-in, I think, instructions there. Um, then if you want to check out our podcast uh, on Facebook and Twitter, do so. You can search for our name, Practically Theologians. And if you have any comments or suggestions, please send them in or to our email podcast at practicallytheologians.org. Yep. And if you want to come visit, come check us out. Yeah, come check us out if you're interested in seminary. Bring your uh, snowshoes. Not check us out. <laughs> check Snowshoes and like three or four layers of clothes. But other than that, yeah. Thanks. We'll see you next time.
time, guys. <laughs> How about just join us next time? Join us next time.